Welcome back to the Bill Bradley Collective. This will be a special episode as we honor Hank Aaron, uh, who recently passed last week. Hank Aaron is a obviously Hall of Fame legendary baseball player. It is hard to know in this immediate moment whether he's underrated or overrated slightly. We'll be discussing that. Um, But we're also going to talk about his impact on the civil rights movement and racism's impact on him. So, Zach, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Uh, I think this is a really good really good topic. I was a really interesting guy to, to learn more about. I mean, we all know about his home run record, but his civil rights activism is something I knew uh, not as much about as I, as I probably should have. And Andrew, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, Hank Aaron, just a stone cold legend. Um, I hope we can, I hope we do him justice over the next 45 minutes or so. So Hank Aaron is the last great player to start in the Negro Leagues. Um, he dropped out of high school to join, I think it was the Indianapolis Clowns in the Negro Leagues, uh, played very few games with them, and then was sold to the top bidder who was the Atlanta Braves. I can't believe that the people who ran the Negro Leagues had so little sense of irony and shame that they were selling their athletes to the major leagues. Did that strike either of you as, like, did you know that was happening? I mean, I knew that... I knew players were were sold often and it's not like traded and that was what they referred to. But yeah, I did not know uh, that they were still doing that in, in the Negro Leagues. I mean, that's just... It's not great, but it is important. Uh, he did not. He was traded to the Milwaukee Braves because that time, so he was he moved to the North. He stayed in the North, uh, which is an important thing that we'll probably touch on later. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, th- just the selling of players is just something. It's like it's why the auction league in fantasy is bad. And there's a troubling thing where it's um, he sold he sold. I hate. I, it's like I cringe saying it. Um, he sold to Milwaukee for ten grand and. Milwaukee thinks that they've totally fleeced this team because they he and, and this is a quote. Um, they think that he's a one hundred thousand uh, dollar property, and that's a quote property. Um, really, sign of the times. Just uh, you know, and only what I mean, seventy years ago. Uh, yeah, really yeah it's and it's one of those things that I kept thinking about as I was watching this, I mean, obviously I'm much older than you. I remember every single thing about Henry Aaron's 715th home run. I remember all of it. Um, I remember his 714th home run. I remember where I was when I heard about it. Um, It was such a remarkable event in the course of my lifetime. So he joins the Indianapolis Clowns in 52 he then goes to the uh, Indianapolis College of 52. He, he quit high school. He was nearly sold to the Giants, which meant that within four years of that time, five years of that time, 
the Giants outfield would have been Orlando Cepeda, Willie Mays, and Henry Aaron. And at first base would have been Willie McCovey. And they would have won 18 consecutive World Series. And he went to the, what was called the Sally League, which is the South Atlantic League. In that league, and he's a kid, he's 18. He had 362 with 125 RBIs, 115 runs, and 208 hits, uh, all of which led the league. He led the team to the pennant, and he won the MVP. And this is one of those things that just makes you want to jump off a bridge. One of the reporters said, Henry Lee, Henry Aaron led the league in everything except hotel accommodations because he often could not, was not allowed to stay in the hotels and had to sleep on the bus. Um, any thoughts you had about the uh, experience that seemed to shape, I mean, he grew up in Mobile, but he grew up in a black area of Mobile. Um, this seemed to be a life-shaping event for Aaron. Yeah, I mean, it. one of the things that struck me is, like, just how recent all of this is. Like, you know, the, the things you're describing, Joe Biden was nine years old when this was happening. Like, you know, Trump was seven. You know, that is, this is so recent that people are presidents and this happened in their lifetime. And it also just shows, like, black athletes, I mean, once they broke the color barrier, it wasn't like it was just they broke the color barrier and everything got better. It, there was still just systemic problems across the country that impacted these guys. And I think you're right. Like it really shaped what he, what he really did later in life. as kind of a helping with civil rights. You can't really overstate how like I think a post 1947 post Robinson through, you know, through the entirety of the sixties of, that experience of the black athlete across all sports, across basketball, across football, across baseball, um, that experience of literally being victims of segregation and, and, and imagine, imagine all of the, all of the hall of fame, the elite level talent that were somehow able to professionally thrive and be the greats, the historical greats in their, in their, in their sports yet be treated as, you know, just second class, total second class citizens. It's it's an um, it's an unbelievably disturbing like juxtaposition. It's I I just I, it's hard to it's hard to reckon with today thinking about it. Um, so Aaron gets a shot in the majors because Bobby Thompson, who is famous for the miracle of Coogan's Bluff, where he homered against the Dodgers while Willie Mays is on deck. Um, Bobby Thompson slid and broke his ankle. And so Aaron comes up at 20, which is very young. He's super raw. He weighs 160 pounds. Um, and he, you know, he played, uh, he, he played 122 games his rookie year. He batted 280 and he had 13 home runs. He broke his ankle on September 5th. Um, his first home run came off Vic Rashi. One of the weird things about Aaron is when you see his important home runs, they all are off pretty good pitchers. Uh, Vic Rashi was a very good pitcher. Um, and he was an infielder. Well, I mean, he, played, he had been an infielder. He moved to the outfield for Thompson. Um, he played back and forth until 55, where he moved to right field, where he won three gold gloves. He played his entire career in right field. Um, 
winning three gold gloves in that time period in right field was not easy because Roberto Clemente was in right field for the Pirates at that time. Um, Clemente, while a great player, is not remotely in Henry Aaron's class in anything except defense. Uh, Aaron was a very, very, very good right fielder. Uh, Clemente was an act of God. But I feel like, and, and you guys are younger than I am, so you would know this better, I feel like Aaron has been a little underrated in retrospect. Uh, you guys did research that would, you know, probably illuminate him for you. Did you feel like you you had been underrating him as a player going into this? So I think I think the, our generation at large um, underrates Hank Aaron. I mean, as somebody that has spent a large part of their childhood and adult life kind of just obsessing over sports history, I personally have I I do not uh, underrate. Henry Aaron, I think, at least in like a post World War II modern era, I, you know, it's him and it's Mays, and I guess Bonds, and and that's kind of like the, the I think I, there's he's undoubtedly I think he's the home run king until Bonds, of course, but that's what he's most known for. That's kind of the one thing. But there's so much more to his playing profile, his statistical profile. I mean, this is. If you were to take away the 755 home runs, if you were to take away that from his hit total, he still clears 3,000 hits. He's a lifetime 300 hitter. He At age 23 in the 57 World Series, one of two World Series that he played in at 23, he should have won the MVP. Luberdet, pitcher, wins. But Aaron hits three home runs, hits 400. He's, he's the best. And then they, they lose the next year to the, to the Yankees in a rematch. But... There is so much, I mean, 25 times, 25 times an all-star. He's hitting 40 home runs at age 39, over 120 games. In 1973, playing in these cavernous ballparks. And again, another testament to his outfield defense that you mentioned. Like, playing right field and left field now in today's game, in these small band boxes, yeah, you put your, that's where you're supposed to just play mediocre defense and hit a lot of home runs. 50, 60, 70 years ago, these ballparks are like, you know, they double as football stadiums. They're they're cavernous. They're huge. There's so much more ground to cover in the outfield. Um, just, uh, you know, to your point, I do think he is he is underrated. I personally don't think I underrate him because I know he's a fucking boss. Uh, I, I think I probably definitely, definitely have, you know, especially in, you know, the, the, the quote unquote discourse or when, when you, when you're arguing about who's, you know, who's good baseball player, who's, who's in the top five, who's in the top 10. And I think he's just one of those guys where I was like, Oh yeah, he hit 755 home runs. He's the home run King. You know, I still consider him the the home run leader. I mean, it's hard to argue bonds, you know, with everything that went on is, is legitimately uh, the champion. But I think it, it's, it's one of those things that he was just, he was, he had 755 home runs, but it doesn't seem like there was ever, like he's never talked about as being remarkable in one category. I mean, obviously the most home runs, but it's always like, oh yeah, it was him and then Bonds and then McGuire and Ruth and blah blah blah. Like he never had a season where he hit sixty home runs. His his highest was forty seven. But you know, I, one of the things you talked about, Andrew, is the Cavaliers ballparks. 
you know, I'm looking at the season where he did. He only won one MVP, and it was a season when he had 44 home runs in the old Milwaukee Braves stadium, which was massive. And it's like, that's a, that's a feat in and of itself. And uh, I think I definitely, like, looking back, this, I'm like, oh, wow, yeah, I definitely had him underrated in terms of who I think about when I think about the best baseball players of all time. I think he was uniquely hurt by the fact that his career almost entirely overlaps with someone who is similar but 10% better in everything, and that's Willie Mays. My take going into this was, until I really looked at it, was that Aaron was a better offensive player, Mays, because of you know the difference between being a very, very good right fielder and the greatest center fielder in history has, has impact on winning and losing. But Aaron wasn't a better offensive player than Mays. Um, and it's not particularly close. That Mays led the league in slugging five times, Aaron four. Mays led the league in home runs uh, four times, same as Aaron. In OPS, um, he led it five times. Mays led it five times. Aaron led it three And Aaron's career and his career numbers take off in 66 when he goes to Atlanta because he went from a very poor home run park, a Milwaukee County Stadium, to a very good home run park, um, Fulton County Stadium, which was the launching pad, in which, for God's sakes, Davey Johnson hit 40 home runs there. Um, And it was the best home run park in baseball, including Wrigley and Fenway, while it existed, um, before Coors Field. And I think Mays is just objectively better. Um, That doesn't mean Aaron's not great, but I think it it does hurt his reputation a little bit. Because he's just at the exact same time as someone who's just a little bit better than he is. Um, And their careers almost completely overlap. If Mays had played, if Mays had been uh, moved to Atlanta in 1966, he would have the home run record. Um, Because he was ahead of Aaron in 66 with just about the same number of games. Aaron started later, but Mays had the Army stint. Uh, Mays would have had that record. Um, not Aaron, and then we wouldn't be talking about it. But that doesn't diminish him. He's a, I don't think he's a top five player. I'd put him behind Mays. I'd put him behind Williams. I'd put him behind Ruth. I'd put him behind Honus Wagner. And I would probably put him behind Joe Morgan. But he's a top 10 all-time player, which is not nothing. He's not Frank Robinson, who is a brilliant player and and doesn't hold a candle to Hank Aaron. But I think if you look at, you know, like you said, like he, his career doesn't take off until he moves to Atlanta. He's 32 at that age. Like he's on the tail end of, of at that year. He's at the tail end of, of his prime. You know, I mean, he goes on to play for another 10 years, but 32, you're starting to dip a little bit. And that's when he explodes. I mean, that's, that's not nothing. You know, that, that is still like, he was good for two decades, three decades, maybe two, two and a half decades. Oh yeah. And, and I don't think it diminishes him to point out that Mays, went from the polo grounds, which was about the worst park for a home run hitter in baseball, to Candlestick, which may have been worse. Um, Candlestick yeah. was a nightmare to hit home runs in. And Mays hit 
I don't remember what the exact percentage is, but he had a majority of his home runs on the road. He never got that late in life bump. And even at the tail end of his career, when Mace gets traded and he's done, he goes to Shea, which is also a hard park to hit home runs in. So, like, he never played in a good hitting park. Um, Mays hit about 150 more home runs than Ernie Banks. If they switched parks, that number would be closer to 400. Yeah, I'm not putting Aaron ahead of Mays in that pecking order. Um, absolutely not. But as far as everybody else, and I have a hard time, like, you want to bring Ruth and Honus Wagner and Hornsby, and the, it's I, I just I struggle to kind of reckon with, I guess, I don't know, pre-1950, post-1950, I don't know. But at least in a post-1950, I don't know, Mantle's not ahead of Aaron. Joe Moore, I mean, no. I, I don't know. I don't know. I I got him like number two behind Mays. Post-1950. Over so, Williams and Bonds? Bonds is 21st century. I mean, how does that, how does it play out drug-free? I don't know. I, I, and as long as, and as long as I don't know, I, Aaron, yeah. thir- 13 seasons, 13 seasons, Aaron. And I don't, I know war, war, whatever. Yeah. Seven, seven or better, thirteen seasons. Well, he hit thirty home yeah. runs like constantly for decades. I don't think it denigrates in the National him. League against. I don't think it denigrates Aaron to say he might be the seventh best player since World War II, as opposed to the fourth. Like I mean, it, or whatever. I, I think that Aaron was clearly a top ten player, and as we're going to talk about also dealt with things that nobody else had to. Mays didn't, A, Mays didn't have to deal with the nonsense Aaron dealt with. Also, Mays, because of his personality, was always universally beloved. Um, I read somebody that pointed out that Aaron and DiMaggio had the exact same on-field demeanor. And that demeanor made... um, DiMaggio's seem beloved and and the way you should raise your sons and Aaron seemed kind of aloof and and that is just a factor of race like that has nothing to do with anything else oh yeah and I, I do want to point out because it's uh, I'm looking at it now and it's just it is insane he had 755 home runs he's a home run leader at that time there were nine people who voted against him to be in the hall of fame he received uh Ninety-seven point eight three percent, which is less than Derek Jeter, who received ninety-nine point seven. I don't think any of us are going to argue that Derek Jeter is better than Hank Aaron or Ken Griffey or George Brett. I mean, these guys all got more than him. It's hard to argue that if he was voted in not in nineteen eighty-two, it probably would have been unanimous. I mean, you're going to tell me those nine guys looked at the guy with seven hundred fifty-five home runs and didn't vote for him? in the Hall of Fame on the first ballot. I mean nobody nobody was unanimous until uh was it was it was Rivera really the first unanimous? It was Rivera in 19, it was Rivera in 2019, yeah. <laughs> That's Which is insane. The fact that he was first is a fucking disgrace. It's a disgrace. But it's it's yeah. it, he, Aaron's not Aaron's not alone on that distinction of guys that are slam dunk unanimous fucking Mount Rushmore level um players that have gotten unanimously. It's just, Baseball writers it, are there's there's always the bad apples in the bunch. And Aaron it points out the shilling and just left it up to the uh, veterans committee. Right. You know, and it points out what Bill James has said. 
is that because the way the Hall of Fame has been run, all it can do is insult people. It can't really honor them. And, you know, I mean, it's more important that Aaron's been insulted than, I don't know, Harold Baines has been honored. Um, because, you know, it's just the way it runs. So one of the things that was unknown in 74 when he hit the home run, 73 or 74, was the level of racist emails he received. I read an article that put a lot of them in there, uh, you know, who who quoted a lot of them. I'm not going to do that. But, you know, A, he pointed out that most of them had northern uh, post office marks. And that he had dealt with this for a couple of years. Um, And, you know, he wasn't thrilled about moving to Atlanta. He had been in the South. It wasn't great. But as, as it's pointed out, a lot of the hate mail came from the North. And was that something that, you know, you guys were, I, I remember hearing about it later in the year, after it was over, Aaron talked about it. He didn't talk about it before. And where he really talked about it was, you know, in the most white guy thing ever, those two college students run around the bases with him. And they said, what did you think? And he said, I thought they were going to kill me so I wouldn't get the record. And that was his first thought. I'm going to be killed so I don't get the record. Um, was that something that you guys were aware of before this? I, I knew the, the story about the, the players running with him. And I mean, that it definitely makes that his reaction when he kind of shoots his head around when the kid touches his back, you know, a little more jarring than it looked at the time. Um, but in terms of most of the mail coming from the North, you know, is that's, I'm not surprised by that at all. You know, I mean, if you look at the North, you know, we're always looked at as the tolerance and, 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 uh, you know, racially equal place in the country when in reality, like, you know, many places in the North are more segregated than they've, than they are in the South, especially when you look at like schools and stuff that, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, we're, we're, you know, we're not going to run out there with a Confederate flag, but. It's also one of those things of, well, okay, you guys don't don't be with us. And and that's kind of what the North does. So him getting a lot of hate mail from, you know, I'm sure it came from New England. You know, I'm sure it came from, you know, places like Connecticut and Massachusetts. You know, Boston in many ways is the Kentucky of the North. And, you know, I think it just speaks to how universal that problem, you know, still is and was then is that it, it – the things he had to endure to be as good as he did, as he was, while being as good as he was, it, there white players don't have to put up with that. White players don't deal with that. In many ways, no other players deal with that. It, it is a unique experience of like the black athlete. Uh, for a black man um, in the early 1970s in this country to be chasing down this record, this hallowed sports record of, at the time and probably still now like one of the most iconic sports figures in history a white sports figure clearly that sort of ramped up the racial hostility and it it, the one thing that jumped out at me going into this 
uh, kind of research, getting ready for this, was like the sense of leading up to breaking the record, breaking the record. It was not for Aaron personally. It wasn't so much a like triumph, more than just a just a fucking like sense of relief that it was that it was over, that it was that he had gotten there, and it was he was more relieved than elated. And I think that speaks volumes for his for the for the what he had to endure. He, he over says right after to a reporter that now my kids can be let out of prison because people have been threatening his children so he wouldn't break the record. And right, I mean, here it is a moment of enormous pride. It it was the most important record. In sports, um, I mean, I knew seven fourteen and I knew seven fifty five. I could not tell you right now how many home runs Bonds hit. I, I just don't know. It's irrelevant to me because of the steroids. Um, seven fifteen and seven fifty five, or the seven fourteen and seven fifty five are the two I knew, and um, and the fact that that record, which seemed insurmountable would be broken um, is, you know, I mean, I had Hank Aaron's 1967 baseball card and it talked about the chance. It said he has a chance to hit 600 home runs. But I mean, he had 155 more than that. And um, so all of it seemed impossible. And yet he didn't enjoy one second of it. And anyone who questions the genius of Vin Scully. As Aaron crosses the plate, because he says nothing while he circles the bases. He doesn't say a word. And he then says, and here in the deep south, a crowd full of white fans is standing and cheering a black man for breaking this record. And he realized, oh, Vin Scully is just the... Vin Scully is better at his job than almost anybody has ever been at their job. Uh, it was just so touching. And it's something I remember. And he hit it off a black man. That was another weird thing. Uh, there, weren't, there have never been very many black pitchers. And he hit it off a black man. And Downing said afterwards he was proud it was him that gave it up. Do you know who caught the ball in, in the bullpen? Um, God damn it. Um, House. Tom yes. House. Current Tom House. NFL throwing guru. I, I Tom just read House. this this morning. Yeah. Yes. Caught the ball in the out. Caught the ball. Um, but it was, uh, you know, and, and Aaron, and, and I want to hear your opinion about this. Aaron kept all of those letters, all of the hate mail he received, all of it. He kept it and would reread it. Every few months, did did that strike you as just the weirdest thing ever? No, I think it probably, in many ways, I mean, obviously, reading hate mail over and over again is something that is probably deeply mentally and emotionally damaging. I mean, I can't imagine that's good for your psyche. Um, but it is one of those things where I imagine it in some ways kept him tethered to the reality of what was happening 
and what he meant that, you know, despite everything, this was still what he had to go through. And I think that that helped his activism as he got older, because during his playing years, he was a very quiet, you know, player. He kind of, I read a quote that said, uh, with Aaron, everything started behind closed doors because he wanted like, he wanted to kind of be behind the scenes, not out front. Um, but yeah, I can't imagine that was good. That was good for him mentally in the long run. He said, uh, I read the letters because they remind me not to be surprised or hurt. They remind me what people are really like. He said, uh, I read the letters because they remind me not to be surprised or hurt. They remind me what people are really like. He also said, it took a part of my soul. Um, just really just kind of devastating, a devastating account of what this country is. Barack Obama said he is the strongest man. Henry Aaron is the strongest man I ever met. And I, I think that through this process, that that's what I appreciated from him. Andrew? You, you, you can't honor and celebrate this man without trying to reckon, reconcile um, the worlds that he lived in. His, his 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 life experience you can't you can't do one and not the other you know i don't know if that I, I, what's the equivalent is it you know bill russell in boston and i'm not even sure that's you know what do they have in common they're both just fucking titanic icons but it's indescribable but yeah but what he had to endure the nba during aaron's lifetime wasn't remotely what major league baseball was i mean major league baseball when Aaron hits a home run, it's still by far the most important sport in the United States. The two most important sports in the United States in 74 are baseball one and boxing two. American um, football is not in the top two at that point in 74. The Super Bowl, like Super Bowl, is, five, the Super Bowl is five years old. Like the Super Bowl comes in in like sixty six, so it's like eight years old. No, no I mean I, I'm asking. I, I yeah, I, I don't think so. No, I think it. I, I don't think it was. Um, that you know the seventy two Dolphins because they were undefeated pushed football forward, but no, I think football really kind of passes them. My guess would be the 85 Bears are probably the turning point. That the 85 Bears were so popular that no other sport could get any breath because they were so popular. Um, I, I think the thing that <clears throat> the thing that I kept coming back to when, when looking at this is it's easy to think about this and like, oh, okay, that's in the past. It's a bygone era. And then it's like, you know, 40 years ago, 50, 50 years ago. I mean, it's it's you realize how what he had to deal with and what he probably still would have dealt with 15 years ago, 20 years ago, if he was doing the exact same thing, you know, I'm sure bonds got, I mean, bonds was a black guy breaking a black guy's record. So it was probably not as racially divisive to, to the racists of America. But I mean, you could see this happening 25, 30 years ago during the Clinton era, it's things like this still happening. And it's just like, it is stunning how in many ways, how far we've come. And in other ways, how absolutely uh, little we've 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 evolved in fifty years. But that, that's at least what I can come back yeah, to. I mean, Bonds took Aaron 
to another level. I mean, obviously, the comp always for Aaron in his whole life, we started this show with this, was Mays. And Mays went out of his way to be as gregarious and likable. I mean, Mays was called the Say Hey Kid when he was in his mid-30s. Um, Aaron was never called a kid. Like, Aaron just always seemed like an adult. Um, Bonds added a certain level of surliness to that. He just didn't, he not only didn't care if you liked him, he was going to make sure you didn't. Um, and I think that that, as much as anything, really hurt his legacy. Um, but I also think that Aaron's post-career has been minimized. That, you know, it's viewed kind of like Joe Lewis being a casino greeter. And I think Aaron had more power than that in the organization. I mean, to this day, when you think of the Atlanta Braves, the first name that comes to your mind is is Hank Aaron. And I think he did have a little more power uh, than that because he was the first black executive. Yeah, he, he was put in charge of uh, player player relations, right? Yeah. Uh, I think that there's that, and there's also the things he did with his wife, like his wife and him donated millions of dollars um, to to like civil rights causes. One of the one of the kind of weird stats I saw was in 1999 he became the first uh, black majority owner of a BMW franchise, which is one of those things that is both stunning. It was 1999, and also really really specific uh <laughs> in the sense of kind of like oh yeah that, i'm not really that surprised by that when you when you talk what do you think about it but i mean he was you know his post career you re, you realize how kind of it, it tracks in the sense of he was very quiet or as you put it like he was viewed as aloof but he was very behind the scenes and it's kind of his post career is the same but he was always involved in civil rights and the naacp making donations to charities in uh, atlanta like I read a quote that said he never forgot where he came from in Mobile, Alabama. Very, it, it's a very understated. Um, I think it's I, I understated would be the word I'd use to describe his post career. I mean, he's in he's in Braves management. He's in the management of Turner Broadcasting, the the at the time the the the, the TV home of the Braves. Remember, in our lifetime, Zach, Braves games, every Braves game, like in the nineties, was on fucking TBS. Like to me that oh yeah that blows my mind. On TBS or on Fox on Saturdays oh. every week. Yeah. As a, as Dale, a brief Dale Murphy won an MVP award just because people saw him. <laughs> Murphy was never one of the fifteen <laughs> best players home. in baseball ever. So you're a no on Murphy's but, Hall of Fame case. <laughs> oh, I'm a hard no on Murphy's Hall hard of Fame no? case. Yeah. yeah, me too. Um, I would also point out that like one thing I just didn't realize is that his wife, Billy, was in the NAACP legal defense fund, uh, legal defense team, for 45 years. Like, she had, and I don't know if she was an attorney, but she played a big role in that. Laura Eiffel, who is uh, the head of the NAACP legal defense, and, you know, an American icon, or should be, um, was incredibly... Praise were you know she praised uh, both Billy and Hank Aaron to the hilt because of their role in, in legal defense, and it's just interesting that Aaron was a man who, 
he just never thought of that way. Um, that he just never sought the limelight. You know, he played in Milwaukee and Atlanta. He didn't play, he never played in New York. He never played in LA. He never played in Chicago. But, you know, he, he, he was one of the greatest athletes of the, of the last half of the 20th century. And he somehow managed to just work behind the scenes. It's really hard to work behind the scenes if you're that person. He doesn't play in a World Series after 1958, and that's his 24-year-old season. Um, it's – and again, it, it, to the point of, of baseball being like the biggest sport in America throughout the 60s, I, I just – I think why he might be underrated and un, unappreciated the way he should be is I don't know if he's as – maybe that like the prime of his career wasn't – I don't know. There's there's a certain maybe the timing or or what have you, but he he, I guess underexposed would be what I would say as a like I, again playing in those small markets, not playing in the World Series once in the 1960s during his prime, um, definitely just under way underappreciated uh, as a man as a ball player and and as a man, frankly. His only postseason experience after that was he uh, played in the first playoff series, sixty-nine NLCS, and he lost to right. They lost in three games to the to the Mets, and that's like completely forgotten about. I think it's just you know we we talk about a pit just the amount of vitriol and seemingly insurmountable challenges that he needed to overcome like sleeping on a bus at 18 and still going out and hitting and leading the league and everything. Um, I think it, it, it just speaks to to who he is as a man and who he is as a person, just everything he's done throughout his career. You know, he's, he is truly like a remarkable, uh, remarkable person. And, and uh, you know, everyone's a little, I think it, right now, you know, it would have been good to see what he had to say and the things he was doing. And uh, definitely somebody that was underappreciated in his time, but I think will will in time be appreciated in the right manner. I think the last thing he did in public life, um, first week of January, was he uh, he got vax he got the first dose of the, of the vaccine, um, as a way to sort of encourage African Americans, minorities to, um, you know, to get vaccinated, um, and that's, again, I mean that's how, you know, in in in, in the waning weeks of his life, he he he, he makes this uh, very proactive public gesture. It's the guy he was. Um, yeah. yeah. Phenomenal. Just a phenomenal guy, phenomenal ball player. Yeah, a legend. When you realize that this man who just died, you know, ten a week or 10 days from this, you know, from when we're recording this, dealt with that level of hatred. When you realize Hank Aaron is older than Emmett Till would be, if if he had lived, it just reminds us of Faulkner. Um, the past isn't over. The past isn't really the past. And um, unfortunately, you know this this stain on America continues to live with us. It continues to live with us in Georgia, obviously, uh, with Marjorie Taylor Greene and, and Hank Aaron. Just calls us to be our best selves. 
regardless of race. And, and so with that, uh, we thank you for uh, staying with our tribute to Hank Aaron, and we'll see you next week on the Bill Bradley Collective.